Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osier continue their discussion on Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal, inerrant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and a faithful service in His kingdom since 1964. Learn more and apply at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. My name is Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. All right, welcome back. We're on our second episode of Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession. Yeah, you would think, looking at its service, that we wouldn't have a lot to talk about this because it's kind of no longer an issue in the church. The Roman Catholics do their thing, the Lutherans do their thing, the Protestants do their thing with it, and yet there is so much practical fruit out of this topic that applies to what's going on in the church today. So we don't just need to sit back and pick on the Roman Catholics here because the church is making the same errors over and over again. Hmm. Yeah, well said. I think that that's a... That's a good way to introduce this again as we jump in uh, talking about uh, on the mass here. Yep, Brett, would yeah. you would you read it again? You stopped yeah. halfway through. I'm the, sorry about that. And we last left week. off on yep. some encouraging words about the being comfort better. for right. <laughs> I'm being better. <laughs> I'm being better. Do harder <laughs> on uh, on Do the harder. comfort of consciousness. Kind of the opposite consciences. I said comfort of consciousness. Just read, Brett. Yes, yeah, I'm comforted that I'm conscious. <laughs> there we are. Here All we right. Are. Uh, so I'm going to read more than I read last time, but still not the whole article. I, we'd still encourage you to go read that, but I will read a good chunk here today. It says, uh, Article 24 of the Mass, Falsely are our churches accused of abolishing the Mass, for the Mass is retained among us and celebrated with the highest reverence. Nearly all the usual ceremonies are also preserved, save that the parts sung in Latin are interspersed here and there with the German hymns, which have been added to teach the people. For ceremonies are needed to this end alone, that the unlearned be taught what they need to know of Christ. And not only has Paul commanded us commanded to use in the church a language understood by the people, 1 Corinthians 14, 2-9, uh, but it also has been orda- so ordained by man's law. The people are accustomed to partake of the sacrament together, if any be fit for it, and this also increases the reverence and devotion of public worship. For none are admitted except they be first examined. The people are also advised concerning the dignity and use of the sacrament, how great consolation it brings anxious consciences, that they may learn to believe God and to expect and ask of Him all that is good. In this connection, they are also instructed regarding other and false teachings on the sacrament. This worship pleases God. Such use of the sacrament nourishes true devotion toward God. It does not, therefore, appear that the Mass is more devoutly celebrated among our adversaries than among us. All right. All right. That's, that was, a, yeah, that's uh, a better section to yeah, read. Yes. A good intro. Yep. Uh, right away, even before we jumped into what we had planned on talking about, it's very interesting that Melanchthon here goes immediately to the value of observing the sacrament devoutly. Hmm. So on the one hand, he brings up the necessity of examining oneself before going to receive Holy Communion so that you don't do it callously. He says, if any be fit for it. 
And, and, and we would say that the fitness of a person going to the sacrament is one who feels their sins and desires forgiveness. So this isn't a, a measure of piety or of success, but it's, it's a state of repentance that he talks about. And, and then he talks about honoring the sacrament and, and keeping it holy in, in not treating it as a common thing. And, and that's a really good starting point for looking at where the Lutheran church is at historically and confessionally speaking, and where the church in America is at now, that the, the sacraments have almost become a flippant practice among the generic American churches. Yeah. I, I was going to go a different direction, Jason. So <laughs> well, if you want to well, yeah. wrap it up and then go in a different yeah, direction. Go ahead. Well, I'm thinking back to that and that idea of the talisman comes back to mind and, yep. and the, the whole true devotion. Why are you going to the sacrament? I think is what stood out to me here. What is the purpose? I, I used to think that passage about if you come to bring a gift to the altar, right? And you have something against your brother before you offer that gift, then go and, you know, um, repent and, and be right with your brother and then come back and offer service. And I used to confuse that passage with Holy Communion, that somehow I had to be, you know, per- perfectly right. Uh, I had to, ma- I had to, to clean. The altar. Right. Yeah. And, and I see that, that illustration more as one of service as the idea of not serving hypocritically in terms of going out and, and to serve in this way, uh, but be right with your brother. But in communion, the whole point is not go, you know, come better, clean yourself up, wash your hands. It's come hungry. Really, that's what it is. And, and that's what stood out to me in this passage, which is kind of interesting when you think about even today, that what is the purpose? And I, and I said, this is you, you're going general evangelical, you know, over here, Whipping boy. I'm, I'm, I'm turning back to the Catholics who, uh, we said we were going to be nice to, um, but no, I, we look, didn't. <laughs> I look today, I look today at our culture and we've seen this over the past, you know, several months or whatnot with the abortion, uh, debates and Roe v. Wade and whatnot. And the Catholic politicians then that are now being debated among some of the Catholic clergy, should they, or should they not receive Holy communion? And I, I wonder why, why would some of the politicians who would hold to very unbiblical views, for instance, of life, why would they want the sacrament? What, what is the, the draw there for them? And I think it's because sometimes it's become a talisman. It's not the I'm coming as a, uh, as a true devout worshiper contrite over my sin, but I feel like I need that connection to the church for this or for that reason. It works closer to the concept of magic than it does uh, to the applied word of God. Right. That, that it's this superstitious thing, a good luck charm, like you said, a talisman, and it kind of is, for a lot of people who, who hold that view of the sacrament, whether they be Roman Catholic or American Protestants, it's, uh, it's a good luck charm. It's, a, like you said, a talisman that uh, is my get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, you know? or those in Lutheran congregations who are holding to that that view right. because yeah. of popular uh, understandings of the yeah. sacrament too. Because you see that we, I, I've seen that among uh, those attending Lutheran churches, and I think the catech the catechesis is correct. I think the churches are are correctly you know presenting what what the what the sacrament is. But I, you know, it's easy for us to turn into this is uh, ex opere operato for the from the working of the work, right? Yep. That. That yeah. whole thing. Yeah, that's where I, my mind yeah. went when I saw this. So I'm sorry, I kind of derailed no, again. That's, that's good. And I think that that's, 
like what you said, Adam, you know, there's, it's not like the catechesis is, is not there, but maybe there's an added layer of pastoral care of people of maybe sorting through some of those things as you see it as a, as a pastor, you know, pastors that are listening to this, um, to, to seek to further catechize your people, uh, in the faith, um, in this way. Well, it's probably a double-edged sword where the catechesis and the proclamation of the gospel need to be continual instead of assuming, okay, I've done this once, everyone gets it, now we can move on. At the same time, there's a great need for private confession and absolution so that people aren't looking for that good luck charm because they're worried that their sin is always following them with access to the gospel, both regularly proclaimed in the service, but also regularly applied in private confession and absolution. We are not disqualifying ourselves from that broad proclamation of the gospel. You know, mm-hmm. that's the deception of the, the human nature of our sinful nature is that while the pastor just preached the gospel, that's for that guy up there who I think is righteous, but not for me. And, that's another avenue to you know devolve into superstition when it comes down to this. Uh, when we come to communion, the only thing we're bringing is our sin and our shame. We're not mm-hmm. we're not bringing merit badges, you know, like on a on a Boy Scout sash or anything <laughs> like that. We're we're bringing our sin and our shame in need of forgiveness. Yeah. And the gospel forgives our sins, but the reception of Holy Communion of the Body and Blood of Christ on our lips also forgives our sins because the promise of the Word is added to that. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a weak doctrine of the Word, which. We know in Reformation period, the word was being denied to the people because it was being preached only in Latin. A weak doctrine of the word is going to lead to a weak doctrine of the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's another thing that comes through in this article is uh, just the definition of a, of a sacrament versus a definition of a sacrifice. And uh, so what was happening there, Jason, with, uh, with that distinction in this article? Yeah, th- this is the big, the second big distinction, I would say, in the article versus, you know, what's going on with the Mass and what's happening is the diff- distinction between uh, sacrament and sacrifice. And Adam, last week, used the language of the bloodless sacrifice. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's how Roman Catholic theology defines uh, the Eucharist. It's a non-bloody sacrifice of Christ, again, for the forgiveness of sins. But uh, in the language of the church and in the language of scripture, the distinction is uh, a sacrament is something that God does for us, something that is holy that is given to us where the promise uh, of the word is applied. And a sacrifice is something we are doing for God, something that's required by the law. And uh, the Melanchthon in the Apology goes great lengths to delineate the two so that he can reclaim the doctrine of Holy Communion back for the gospel rather than in the Roman Catholic conception, which is we are doing something for God by observing the Mass. Yeah. So with that, then, uh, the application uh, for modern Christianity is the exact same thing, because in, in the worship service of the American, the generic American church, is we have come to church to do something for God. Hmm. And that would be our sacrifice of praise. And in fact, uh, in, in, the, in the horrible 90s, <laughs> there was a praise and worship song that was, We bring the sacrifice of praise. I was going to say, I thought of a couple. There was Into a, the yeah, yeah, that one. I think there was a choir song that uh, back and, at the day when it, we were there, Adam, mm-hmm. at, as students, uh, 
The, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to be fair, the Bible talks of the language, yeah, the sacrifice of praise. Psalm 50, mm-hmm. I think, is the psalm that yeah. uses that language. But the, the sacrifice of praise is always something we're doing in response to what God has done. And so in the Old Testament, sacrifices were required by the law. And so even the, the sacrifice of atonement was required by God to make atonement for the sins of the people uh, because, one, Christ hadn't come yet and, and it needed to point forward to Christ. There was no other way uh, except for the shedding of blood. And, and so God did that. But there were other types of sacrifices. There mm-hmm. was the, the sacrifice of thanksgiving and, the, and, you know, all of those things built into that. And that's what Melanchthon's talking about here in Article 24. There's a very big distinction be- before, be- between what God has done for us mm-hmm. in the gospel, which is then applied in the sacraments, and what we do in response to God for everything he's done for us. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit, and I was looking at something just a second ago, trying to to make this connection here and seeing in the article if there was something. I couldn't find it, what I was looking for. But I think the language that the Catholic Church uh, accused the Lutherans of of holding, right? That 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 idea that they are, you know, kind of disregarding the sacrament. And the Lutherans say, no, 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 you you guys are the one who've turned it into, you know, this this thing that you do, you know, another bloodless sacrifice of Christ, and it completely flies in the face of Hebrews 10, where it says Christ was the once for all sacrifice. And in the Greek, the phrase once for all means once for all, right? That was revolutionary. That was wow. a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, the, the, thanks for laughing, guys. But, I don't have a laugh track. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we should have yeah. that, you know, like the, what, you, what's yeah. that? The We're raising money shot? right now for a soundboard yeah, for Brent so you can press oh, keys. I would have way too much fun with yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> we would, wouldn't be a lot. But where I'm going with this yeah. is this. Okay, so that, that argument that you know, the, the Lutherans were making toward the Catholics is interestingly an argument I hear that the, to, to use uh, Jason's whipping boy, the generic American church uses against Lutheran positions on the sacrament as well that, Oh, you have an altar. There are a lot of churches, you know, that are, would be considered evangelical churches of today that don't have an altar because that language is too similar to the sacrifice, you know, language. And so they go in an entirely different direction and accuse the Lutherans of a similar thing, which is mind boggling because what you find in the generic American church is that they are allergic to the formalities of the faith, to the ceremony, you know, no altar, uh, no vestments, no liturgy, you know, and, and all those are pretty empty things because they've replaced them with other things that fulfill that purpose. And yet the theology is identical to what the Lutherans were combating in the Reformation. And you see this time and time again, if there's ever a group uh, that should understand criticisms against the altar. It's the generic American Catholic, or the generic American Catholic. That's what I'm going to roll go. with. Wow, there's, yeah. a, new, a, there's new a new straw man yeah. Freudian, in the midst. Freudian, yeah, we'll, we'll mash it up all together. The generic American church, how many different wings of the generic American church want to go back and duplicate Old Testament Judaism? They huh. talk about it all the time. You in back when bookstores hmm. used to exist, um, especially end times things. Well, end yeah, times things and the obsession yep. with ethnic mm-hmm. national Israel. Yep. But there were books in the mid aughts while we were in seminary that were coming out about Christians observing the feast calendar 
of the Old Testament Jews. And you have the whole blood moon phenomenon and, <laughs> and you have the, the Jubilee years, uh, you know, and, and even all the way back to uh, good old Rick Warren and the Daniel diet, all these things. The, the generic American church is desperate to get back to the worship life of Old Testament Jews because they have disconnected what Christ has done from the service. It's, we want to do things for God. We want to do things for God. We want the missions emphasis and the ministry emphasis and even the vocational emphasis of like the Baptistic wing is all about, I want to do something big for Jesus. Yeah. I was just, uh, we're in the midst of, of planning for the, the year, the school year, and we're having some training things and we're going off site and the, the place where we're headed, uh, doesn't have a lot of churches is relatively small town, but the, uh, Detroit. Detroit. <laughs> Not Detroit. Okay. No, that direction, though, generally. Uh, in Wisconsin, I looked up churches where we could go to worship together as dorm staff on Sunday morning. And the tagline of the church, this is what we stand for, is love God, love people, teach people to love God and love people. And that's the whole thing. And it's interesting because all of that's law. Yeah. It all focuses on me, what right. I'm supposed to do. And all of that sounds good. And it's even biblically correct if understood through the lens of the gospel. And that is mm. your motivation. But it's not the gospel. It's not primarily the gospel at all. It's it's what do I do for God? And it's it's that whole it's the offering the sacrifice not of Jesus on a on an altar like you're saying, Jason. It's the offering of my goods and my efforts as though somehow my my uh, loving of God and neighbor is going to be a good sacrifice to bring to the table. So, I hear what you guys are saying. I don't know if play a devil's advocate here a little bit, but Pope's advocate. Uh, yeah, Pope's. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kim Jong Un's advocate. Oh, no, so I had to bring yes, it full circle. There you go. There we go. Good. Yeah, no, you uh, bring up Kim Jong Un one time on the perfect. podcast, and, and becomes, you get all this. He becomes a mascot. <laughs> yes. No, I guess what I want to say is this: is you know, I see a lot of Christians that are are sincere and do want to maybe do big things for God, or or even just generally uh, respond and worship in the Lord. Um, are we Respond with praise. Or respond with praise. I guess what I'm saying is, um, are, we, are we trying to get those types of people to see the gospel motivation in that? Or Well, it's not even or, a matter of gospel motivation. It's a matter of rightly dividing law and gospel. Yeah, and, yep. and, and, and I think in hearing your devil's pope's Kim Jong-un's advocate in <laughs> all of this, it's that we want to be careful in how we proclaim things to not pit law against gospel. Right. Now, it's one thing, this this church, love God, love people, teach people to love God and love people. Uh, I call that, and, and I've been calling it for a decade now, I call that deck the halls ministry. Hmm. There's a fa la 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 yes. And, and, and that's what it is. Now, we have to pause because when you say that, it makes it sound like law, bad, gospel, good. Right. But we need to delineate. We need to properly distinguish law from gospel. And that's what we're yep. talking about yep. here. Okay. So the desire to serve God is good, but anything that I do that I either require of myself or God requires of me as a Christian is law. And what happens in the Christian faith is that we will run away with the law at the expense of the gospel. And that's what Lutherans are trying to recenter here is a Christian life that is centered on the gospel so that the law is no longer a threat. 
Because what you end up with is either self-secure Christians or Christians that have fallen into despair because we're no longer applying, we're no longer proclaiming, we're no longer offering the gospel to them. And so if I'm going to church on a regular basis at random big right. box American church... And hearing an adverb sermon, yeah, is like go to call do them, something. Yeah, do it faithfully. And, and even doing it sincerely. Sincerely, you know, yep. Oftentimes our sincerity can be the enemy of hearing the gospel because I am so convinced of this thing that I feel that I want to do for Jesus that I have no room in my mind and in my heart to receive what Jesus has done for me. And and of course, the Lutheran answer to everything we're talking about is vocation, Mm -hmm. that that we reach out to these people who want to do something in, in the response is, Jesus has loved you, now you love your neighbor. And it's that assurance of salvation that gets cut out of that equation mm. when we move to a a me first uh, a me first central picture of worship. I think that maybe Christians are, are catechized to use that word um, in such a way in our culture specifically from a variety of different backgrounds, whether it be evangelical or, or otherwise, that. They are supposed to, and the law, the, point being, the law is really good at doing its work. And we, we get it. We, mm-hmm. we, we understand the law. And the danger is when we try to make something um, of ourselves or do something for others that somehow makes us feel better about us. Mm-hmm. And that is a, a complete misunderstanding. It's a complete violation of the entire doctrine of vocation because it's never about us. Vocation isn't about what it does for me. It's about what it does for neighbor. It's about loving God or Christ who's hidden in our neighbor, right? That's the whole point of a vocation. And then also our love isn't the point, isn't what our neighbor's receiving, but it's the love of Christ in us or they're working, you know, working through us that way. And it's his love. We're his hands and his feet in that it's process. The mask of God, the love of a day. Yeah, the, of a day. I love that. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and that's again, where the American church will screw all this up. If, if we invert sacrament and sacrifice, yeah. Yeah, if we do that wrong, our love for neighbor becomes about how I want to love my neighbor. And then if they don't receive that love, it's their problem. And that's contrary to the actual law. And the law tells me how I ought to love my neighbor, mm-hmm. period. It's not about how I want to love my neighbor. And, and the amazing thing is, is that we flip that on its head and American evangelicals will reject the concept of a sacrament because they think it's salvation by works. Yeah. And then they will go out. <laughs> it's ironic. Yeah. yeah. Then they will go out and practice salvation by works because they have a law-based Christian life. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, well said. Yeah, and, you know, just to kind of start to wrap it up here, too, uh, I was reading in the Apology about this article, and, and they were talking about how there, you know, we're in our churches. We're seeking. We have good preaching, and and that's been their attendance has been good uh, because people are craving for good preaching. And I thought that was interesting comments there in the apology of just keeping keeping the people engaged in church with good theology, with good uh, distinction of law and gospel, uh, actually comforting consciences and. Yeah. Yeah, leading people to to Christ. Law and gospel works, and yeah. that should not surprise us. The word of God is effective, <laughs> yeah, right? right? The, that it, you know, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, it always accomplishes this purpose. It, uh, quick rabbit trail. I'm going to make this as concise as possible. When we were in seminary, there was a book released by church 
kind of commentator Tom Rainier who has written several popular American evangelical works, is a book called Surprising Insights. Yeah. And, and Surprising Insights, <laughs> the, first, right. the first half of the book is absolute gold because what Rainier and his team did is they interviewed people who had been formerly unchurched and had come into the church. And in contra to the seeker-sensitive movement, contra to the big box mega church movement, what they found out is the most important thing for people who are unchurched coming into the church was the preaching of God's word mm-hmm. and the content of the sermon. It wasn't the fog machines and the praise band and the relevance and the hipness of it. It was the contents. It was the meat. And that's exactly what we find in the Reformation because that's exactly what we find in Scripture Mm -hmm. is that the Word of God gives life because God's Word does what it says it does. Yeah, amen. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, so, uh, you know, as we wrap up this uh, episode on this article, uh, any closing thoughts, uh, further closing thoughts, you guys, on uh, of the Mass? No, I, I like what Jason just said. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt the same, the insights, right, mm-hmm. in Rainer's yeah, book. Yeah, that's good. The insights that he had there that he brings out was exactly my experience in in the parish. In Pittsburgh, I, I taught the new members classes, and Pittsburgh is a very, um, I, you know, I'm just going to say it, a very highly Catholic city. And there were a lot of Catholics who came to our church because they appreciated the form of the service of the, what they called the mass, you know, because the common service that the Lutherans have followed for, for, you know, centuries is very similar to the Catholic mass. But in the sermon, we unpacked the scriptures and it was that, that they said, I've never heard teaching like that before. Mm-hmm. The word of God, uh, it, it waters the soul that, that's parched for, for needing to hear good, solid truth. Uh, we're going to look, I think, you know, as we, we look at this and kind of wrap it up, the, the two things, right? That whole bloodless sacrifice that they had kind of turned it into that, you know, kind of steals away from Christ's work and the kind of turning it into a, uh, you know, like the talisman. And then the whole idea of buying and selling, right? That was the idea is that, you know, this was being, you know, the, this abuse was that they were selling the sacrament and they're saying, you know, this is, this is all, you know, private matter. You got enough money. You can do this. We're going to look at that, right. As we look into the next couple of weeks in our uh, Bible studies and kind of unpack those ideas a little bit more, because I think there's so much there. There's so much in this that, uh, that's left to be said. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession, looking at an Old Testament passage and its application. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.